This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its six-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, January 13th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to narrow down the best movie moments of 2022. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined once again by Slash Film editors Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. BJ Colangelo. Hi, 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 yeah. Hannah Shaw-Williams. I didn't come up with a cool way to say hello. <laughs> and staff writer <laughs> Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? All right, Jacob, uh, you have the floor. Yeah, like last episode, we're working our way through the top 50 moments of the year. We still have a lot to cut, a lot to go through. We have a tight time frame to do it, so we can go jump right in. If you have not listened to last, uh, to the previous episode of our previous uh, 2022 moments, um, go listen to that one. <laughs> no recap for you. Uh, <laughs> remember, we are spoiling every 2022 movie, so I'd be prepared to fast forward at a moment's notice or sit this one out until a little bit down the road. When we last left off, um, it was Ben's turn to pick something and to uh, keep and kill something. And under my orders, the crew will not be killing more on their turn. I'll be nominating two or even three or four or five moments to kill to get this list moving. But first, Ben, what are you nominating to keep? I'm nominating the final frame adjustment in the Fablemans. Uh, this is a, a great moment. Obviously, the uh, we actually have a couple Fablemans moments on this list. We have uh, Sam meets John Ford. We have Sam finds a secret in his footage, uh, the Christian bedroom scene, and Judd Hirsch's scene. And I, while I love the whole John Ford thing, and maybe you could make a case that the John Ford theme, uh, scene leading into the final frame adjustment could be one moment, but um, I don't know. The, the way we have it broken down here, 
the thing I'm I'm choosing is the final frame adjustment because it's it's just such a playful little moment from Steven Spielberg, a guy who obviously has been at the forefront of American you know blockbuster entertainment for the past what fifty years or something, and uh, it's just such a fun way for this movie to go out on. It's it's him learning a lesson and and sort of um, telling the audience that like even though he is a master of this form, he as as the seventy something year old filmmaker he is right now is still learning things and is still open to suggestions and, and doing new things and is still you know having fun with with the stuff that he's doing so i love this moment uh ben can i make one suggestion yes what if we combined the john ford in final franchise and called this the ending of the fablemans I that's like that what final i was movie. gonna say i love that because to me the, the reason that final the playful final frame works is that after two hours of sammy fableman um struggling and hurting for his art and uh, learning like, why do I create? Why is life so painful? Why do I have to view life through a, cam- through a, lens, through a camera lens? This is this is a generally difficult way for me to live my life. John Ford, an elderly elder statesman of film industry, walks in and says, "It's going to hurt, but here's a fundamental: get the fuck out of my office." And then <laughs> the fundamental is immediately applied, and he walks off to become a, become the filmmaker we know he'll be. So I think we can. I think the two work hand in hand, and we should combine them to one and get it on the list. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That sounds good to me. Anybody object? Nope. No objections. Not at all, but I guess maybe while we're on the topic, should we try to maybe see if any of these other Fableman scenes aren't going to make the cut? Yeah, I think it's a good call. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick look at them. Um, I think the ending is the absolute surefire one that's getting locked in right now because um, it's the best ending of the year, maybe. Uh, but the other ones, I could lose the other ones. I think they're all great scenes. Um, the Christian bedroom scene is so funny. Judd Hirsch is great for his one scene. Sam finding the secret of his uh, mom's affair and his footage is great, but I'm comfortable cutting them all unless anybody here has a, has a bear in this fight. Uh, I'm com- I'm comfortable losing them personally. I I think that we should put the Judd Hurst scene into discussion personally because I think that's a pivotal one that really like sets the stage for like this movie not being uh, nearly as nostalgic or you know. Uh, um, like sentimental about making movies and Spielberg's choice to be a filmmaker. It really digs into like the challenges that come with it and like how you, you know, you have to make these choices, you know, between like your personal life and your, your passion in a way, you know, and it's, uh, I, I really like that scene a lot and I think it really helps define the, the overall movie. So I'm fine with cutting the other two. Uh, but I think that maybe that Judd Hershey should at least go into in discussion for, for now. Yeah. I'll move in discussion. And we also make a case for the other two or should we go ahead and chop them? I think they can get chopped. I do just want to shout out a really funny tweet I saw the other day that was like, Steven Spielberg may be straight, but Sammy Fableman is queer. No, I'll not elaborate on that. And <laughs> I feel like the I feel like the, the Christian bedroom scene is a good example of that being true. <laughs> All right. Well, that and both great moments, but we got to keep this moving. Uh, so Ben, what's your choice or choice is to cut? Yeah, I'm going to suggest cutting uh, both moments we have from a movie that I, I kind of dug, actually, which is Ambulance. Uh, we have all the drone shots in Ambulance and Jake Gyllenhaal in Ambulance, which, you know, I, I love a good, uh, you know, broad category here that we, we always try to sneak in a few times a year. Um, Michael Bay's action movie is uh, the type of thing that we don't often see that much anymore. It's like a, a non-IP uh sort of quasi mid-budget, I think it was like $80, $90 million. Or I don't know, I guess that, I don't know if that qualifies as mid-budget anymore, but um, just a, an original sort of action movie that uh, 
it was a lot of fun. It was, it's, it's nonsense. It's a Michael Bay movie. Um, and I just don't think these particular moments belong on this list. Uh, you, you took one that was on my list for the next cut. So I'm all for it. But before, before we go, let's just talk about how amazing the drone shots and ambulance are because they are buck wild and insane. And like, man, whoever was flying that drone for those shots is like awesome. <laughs> Yeah, there's a moment where it goes like underneath a car that ramps up over it. That's really incredible. I mean, just look at the the composite or the, the juxtaposition rather between the way that drone stuff is used in something like the Gray Man and the way that it's used in ambulance, and you'll realize very quickly the the ways that you know one person clearly knows how to sort of take better advantage of the this relatively new sort of cinema cinematographic technology. I guess I was just gonna say the same thing because I actually just watched the Gray Man for the first time, and those drone shots are so shaky and lame yeah. and they're so they're so cool in michael bay's movie I, my favorite one is the one where it zooms down the side of a skyscraper and then onto the street it's so cool that one sounds like other drone shots should be on this list is what brad and, no. and are both implying here. No, i'm just saying it's better than gray man i don't think that <laughs> there are a lot of things jacob if that's the bar then everything on on you know remaining every remaining nomination belongs <laughs> on this list all right i think we, i think jake john hall is an easy cut um, it's, it's too broad. He, he's crazy in that movie, but I genuinely think the drone shots and the ambulance <laughs> represent what the, maybe the next major tool of action filmmaking. And I'm not convinced they should go yet. All right, you can put it in there. I'm guessing it's going to get cut later, but go ahead and put it in the oh. discussion. All right, do you have any other cuts, Ben? You want to shout out now? Uh, no, we can move on. All right, next up in rotation is uh, BJ. Alrighty, so the one that I am going to nominate for the list is the Panda Fight and the ba- uh, the boy band duet in Turning Red. Turning Red was one of my favorite movies this year. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal, but the reason this scene specifically I would like to keep is because it is the heart of what makes this movie so great, not just from a storyline perspective in terms of the blending of the two different backgrounds of her Chinese heritage, as well as her early 2000s, you know, love of boy bands. I think that's great. The music's fantastic. But it's also visually uh, something entirely new for Pixar. This is where the kind of CalArts American animation meets the, uh, the, the, the Eastern influences of anime. And it is so fluid and so beautiful and watching that scene makes me excited for the future of Pixar, especially that the director, Domi Shi, is now like one of their their bigwigs over there. So it just makes me excited for the future and that scene rules. Yeah, I agree. Goes on a list. Does anybody disagree with Turning Red being on this list? Because Turning Red is great. No, I, I think that's very cool. I like it. Awesome. Turning Red locked in. BJ murder something. I'm going to murder a couple things. Uh, so one of the things I'm going to kill is uh, Simon and Patty's per- uh, One Perfect Day in Dinner in America because there's another scene that I would like to keep so that one can go. Um, I'm also going to kill um, the Pete Davidson reveal in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, I had a blast with that, but I also think that there is something better on the list that's for that. Um, so yeah, I that think was going to be my next pick to kill because um, I think because I kind of guessed that was coming a while back. I was like, oh, yeah, it's what I thought it would be. <laughs> so I, I actually, oh man, I hate to do this, but I would push back. I think the Pete Davidson reveal was the better part of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies if we're going to keep something. Ooh. I mean, so the other one that's on there is Rachel Senat and um, just any one-liner she has, which I think is is stronger. So I don't know, maybe put those in contention to talk about. We could just probably throw bodies, bodies in there and then battle it out. 
Yeah, let's move them both in the end discussion. Okay. Clear that that's a combination that needs to be had. And then I have one more to kill, um, and maybe I'll get pushback on this one, maybe not. I put it on the list, but I put the Batter duet from Disenchanted, um, a movie that I was pretty mid on, but had a lot of fun with. But Batter is, like, in my opinion, that is a new Alan Menken, like, you know, two female vocalists, just absolute banger from him uh we have amy adams and maya rudolph singing about how they're better villains than one another it's really solid and absolutely the high point of a you know fine movie yeah it's i'm cool cutting this disenchanted was okay Um, yeah it was just okay it was fine uh but that's on rules (laughs) all right anyone object to that nope i'm killing it all right, next up is... Uh, oh, uh, you done, BJ? I'm sorry. Do you have anything else? or I'm good. Okay. Hannah, uh, what do you want to keep? Uh, so I'm going to make a case for a good scene in a movie that I really kind of hated, or, or at least heavily disliked, um, which is Rebecca Hall's big kind of one-shot monologue in Resurrection. Um, I yes, did not like Hannah. It. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did not like Resurrection at all, but Rebecca Hall just carries that movie on her back. <laughs> like, it's... It, yeah, I thought it was a very kind of... Uh, undercooked script but the fact that the movie has gotten so much praise is just because Rebecca Hall is kind of yeah she's incredible in the film especially given the material she has so I'll vote for her my, my question though Hannah is Rebecca Hall's monologue if we picked one from Resurrection is it better than Rebecca Hall cutting Tim Roth open and ripping a baby out of him yes uh, yeah I would say yes because okay. Because it is just that good, the monologue. I mean, you know, we all, we all like to see Tim Roth get his stomach cut open, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun time for the whole family. But, <laughs> but yeah. I just I doubt I doubt highly that Rebecca Hall is kind of going to get much recognition at the Oscars or anything. Which I think that actors can, who can do great stuff with meh material that's better than actors who can take a great script and deliver a great performance. Yeah. So, um, I just want to shout out the scene as well because what I like about the way the scene is shot is that her coworker asks her what's wrong, then it cuts to Rebecca Hall and she has like a five minute unbroken monologue in one static shot. It cuts back to the coworker and she's so horrified and is so like, why did you tell me this? Why did you tell me this horrible story? I had a really a moment of dark humor that, that sort of caps it off that I really appreciate. So um, oversharing in the workplace <laughs> yeah and, and like what is revealed in that monologue like leading in like that movie like what is end up what you end up finding out is so horrifying and so like repulsive and you just forget while she's delivering it that oh yeah someone is sitting here patiently listening and just oh it's a great scene in an otherwise iffy movie it also does the heavy lifting of not requiring actual flashbacks for the, the entirety of the movie because she just sits there for, I think it's, yeah, seven or eight minutes or something and lays out this whole story and you're just transfixed the entire time. And the whole rest of the movie sort of works because she lays that foundation of the horror that she experienced. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really effective. All right. Let's yeah. have, are we adding that one and cutting the uh, baby scene? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Y'all know how I feel about horror movie monologues already, so... Yeah, this is our second Harvey monologue from a really tremendous actor on this list. I'm really actually happy that we have both Mia Goth and Rebecca Hall's horror movie monologues on this list. Hell yeah. All right, uh, all right locked in. Uh, Hannah, what do you want to kill? Uh, I'm going to kill Two in One Go from Glass Onion. Um, the Mona Lisa being set on fire as much as as funny as it was, and also kind of the flashback, the mid-movie 
flashback where you find out the context for this whole trip with Benoit Blanc's trip to this Greek island um, just because the other one on the list is my favorite and I would like to keep that one. <laughs> How about we have this conversation now? Let, let, let's pick a glass second moment. Let's just do it. Um, yeah. the, the other moment is Miles Braun is an idiot, a.k.a. Daniel <laughs> Craig's big um, big speech about what, but who done it. Hannah, do you want to talk about this one real quick? I just love it because it's like it uses the format of kind of the parlor reveal where the detective brings together all the clues. Um, and normally there's clues like, oh, I found a bloody handkerchief in this guy's room or, oh, I noticed those two were off talking in the corner amongst themselves. But all the th- all the clues he's put together are just clues that Miles Braun <laughs> is an idiot. And I also really like that he uses the word malapropisms, which is a word when someone uses a word that sounds kind of right, but it's it's the wrong word um, or it's a non-existent word. Like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of an example right now. I can't. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's a really great word. And uh, the, the fact that you kind of go back through the movie and you kind of notice these things is one of the best things about mysteries, like rewatching them the second time and going, oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice that the first time around. So yeah, that's my case for Miles Braun is an idiot. This is the Glass Onion moment. If we're going to have one for Glass Onion, this is the one. I, I agree. I don't know that Glass Onion gets two, but I think that should be the one. Yeah, I will say that um, the reason I put the mid-movie flashback on this list uh, is that I was watching Glass Onion and enjoying it, but thinking, man, this is really fun, but it's only about half as good as Knives Out. Then the flashback happens, and I went, oh. Oh. And then it became, for me, as good as Knives Out. So I think it's a tremendous moment, but I'm, I'm okay cutting the flashback and the Burning Mona Lisa to get Miles Braun as an idiot on this list. I yeah, I think that's fair. All right, any objections to that? Nah. That was a successful round for me. <laughs> Anything else you want to nominate to cut, Hannah, while we're on you? Uh, ooh. Uh, I would, well, one of the things I've got on my post note is the alligator shot from X, as cool as it is. Um, I'm not sure if it'll make the final list, especially since you've already got kind of... It's a good TV. shot. It's such a good shot. <laughs> it's good, but is it top 50 good? <laughs> I, um, okay, does is, is anybody else other than me think the alligator shot has potential? No, it's a very cool shot, but considering what we already have locked down and what we have in, in discussion, I'm pretty sure it's not going to make the cut. I agree. That's, okay. As much as it hurts my heart, I have to agree with that. That's such a good shot. That that The shot where you just know the alligator's there, it's so high, it's closing in, it's... Okay, I'm taking it behind the bar and shooting it. It's a great shot, but it's gone. <laughs> it's actually okay. two great alligator shots. The other one is the one where it bites someone's head off. That was that was a lot of fun, that shot. <laughs> I'll All tell right. you what, Jacob, since you have yeah. to kill that one, I'm willing to just throw, I think yesterday I had put the Black Adam post credit scene into in discussion. I'm willing to kill that just to just to move this along. Deal. It's gone. <laughs> All right. Let's make this um, easy on everyone. All right, Brad, you're up. What do you want to keep? Uh, I'm going to vote to keep the final fight in Prey. Uh, it is one of the best action sequences of the year. Uh, it has a couple great homages to the original Predator. Uh, it shows how much of a badass Amber Midthunder is. And uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, we all know why this scene is great because Prey is awesome. And this was a, a great final confrontation. Yeah, I'll second that. This was going to be one of my picks, um, mainly because I really like how it brings together kind of uh, elements of a video game where you're having to fight. It's basically a video game boss fight um, where, you know, she can't fight the Predator head on. No one can. And so the same as in the original Predator movie, it's all about choosing the terrain and laying traps and just getting everything lined up for the kill. It's a really kind of clever, well put together sequence. So 
I support this. Yeah, I think Prey belongs on this list. Prey belongs on this list. Yes. Yup. Locked in. Okay, Brad, you turn to shotgun slaying to death. Uh, so I'm going to cut the two scenes in Moonfall. Uh, because as ridiculous and silly and stupid fun as they are, I, f- I just feel like they're not going to make make the list. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the two scenes we have is Casey is part of the moon now in Moonfall, and the truth <laughs> is not the moon in Moonfall. <laughs> okay, has anybody who, who here has not seen Moonfall? I have not seen Moonfall. Ben, oh, you're missing I, out. Can I describe to you the ending of Moonfall so to Please see if Ben can get some momentum going to keep Casey? <laughs> yes, please uh, do. Uh, it turns out that in Moonfall, the moon was a Dyson sphere built by an alien civilization um, who uh, go repopulate uh, the human race uh, on Earth after a rogue AI uprising destroyed the original human homeworld. And the, so the the rest, the back half of the movie takes place inside the moon spaceship. And uh, Casey is a scientist played by John Bradley from Game of Thrones. And he dies heroically saving the moon and the world from the, from the AI uprising. But then the, the moon uploads his consciousness into the moon's database. The final scene is that Casey's now living inside the moon's, uh, as, a, as a computer AI, alongside holographic representations of his mom and his cat. And the moon tells him they have work to do, like, as if they're setting up a sequel, and that's the end of the movie. Oh, what is the cat's name? It's got really uh, the cat's name, name is Fuzz Aldrin. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so I have to admit that sounds pretty entertaining, but looking at the rest of this list, there's so much other good stuff. And real quick, I would like to point out, this is the exact line. She says, you're part of the moon now. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be one of my picks to keep. You know, Jacob might have convinced me. I think we should probably at least put Casey as part of the moon now in Moonfall because the more I think about it, yeah, it's just, it's so silly. But I think we can cut the truth about Moon and Moonfall. The the truth is gone for sure because the truth leads to Casey joining the moon. Right. (laughs) I will say this. We've been talking all day. We talked all day yesterday about like maybe a a good moment in a a quote unquote bad movie should make it. And if we're going to get one of those moments, the more you've talked about it, like as I look at my fuck the moon hat from the press screening I went to, I'm like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and I would like to point out that uh, an editor who's not here with us, Mr. Ryan Coleman, made this number five on his top ten of the year. Moonfall is his number five. <laughs> He's part of the moon now. He's part of the moon. Moon is going in discussion. We're going to return to this. Brad, do you have anything else you want to cut? Uh, so I think that I would like to cut, uh, the car gets free in the Bob's Burgers movie. Um, I think the Bob's Burgers movie was okay. Uh, and this scene was, you know, it was, it was enjoyable. It was fine. Uh, but I I don't think this is going to make the cut. That like hurts my heart, but I know that you're right. And I'm okay with it because they did add the, uh, water main break to the opening credits of every new episode of Bob's Burgers now. So it can live there and it's fine. It didn't go. (laughs) Okay, I'm cutting it. Uh, Brad, anything else you want to know with the cut before we move on? Um, I don't know how much pushback I'm going to get on this one, but uh, I think we should cut the walls close in on Florence Pugh and don't really dar- dar- that. Don't cut really, it. darling. Cut it. It feels feels way too on the nose. The movie itself is just mediocre and whatever. And so, yeah, I don't I don't think it belongs here. Yeah, I put it on the list because I thought it was one of the cool visuals from a movie that is, yeah, just kind of shits the bed by the end. But um, but yeah, I, I was actually going to nominate it to cut it later on. So yes. Yeah, when the off-screen drama is more interesting than the actual movie, that's a problem. All right, it's gone. 
Okay, uh, Ryan, where are you going to keep? All right, so um, I didn't get to do this yesterday, but everyone started making cases for movies that they were pretty sure people hadn't seen, but they were going to give it a shot anyway, and a couple of those made in. So so before we start really start killing our darlings here, I just want to try for a, a movie called Breaking uh, that very few people saw. Uh, it stars John Boyega in what I thought was an Oscar-worthy performance. Um, it, it is based on a, a, a real story, an article that was written, and it's essentially a, a desperate-for-money uh, Marine veteran um, named Brian uh, ends up uh, holding people hostage at a Wells Fargo bank, uh, and, and essentially what he wants is, is back pay that he's owed by the VA. And you're going through this whole movie, this tense thing. And usually when you're, you know, looking at like heist movies, it's like, you know, they want like obscene amounts of money. And this is uh, Michael K. Williams uh, in what I believe is his last movie was like the lead hostage negotiator. And so you're building and building and, and you know, all this tension and, and, you know, stuff with his family. And it's like really emotional and heartbreaking. But then you get to this big reveal right toward the end of the movie where, you know, they're like, someone finally bothers to ask, like, what, you know, what is it that you need? And you find out that John Boyega's character, like, all he wants is, like, $600 that he's owed by the VA. And he's doing all of this just to get, like, $600 so he can, like, get his cell phone turned on and, like, be able to see his kid. And, like, it is just so heartbreaking. Just Like, it just takes everything that this movie is trying to say about, you know, you know, what happens to these veterans and all these problems that occur and like just puts it under such a microscope of like just horrible reality. And then the movie really leads to a really heartbreaking place because I regret to inform you that Brian does not make it out of this alive. Um, and uh, yeah, but just that moment of re realizing all he really needs is like $600 and the lengths that he has had to go to to try to make that happen is just devastating and John Boyega's performance in particular is phenomenal. And I just think that it's a movie I wish more people had seen. And this is a truly, truly tremendous, like gut wrenching scene in that movie. So I would really love to go to bat for this, but I have seen this and everything that you said is on, on the money. This movie is so devastating. And that reveal is, and I should say it like, it sounds shocking, but it is so normal like it is so normal how often people are pushed into you know criminal activity for the smallest thing because that is how unsustainable uh this country is so right. here's and something even... i have oh, a question ahead. about because i saw this movie uh for sundance last year and that was when it was called 892 and that's the amount of money he needs that he's owed from the va uh that he hasn't been given so this sounds like that they maybe changed the cut of the movie to keep this as a reveal. Because if I remember correctly, when I saw it, they laid out pretty well up front early on in the movie that this was the only money he wanted and this is why he wanted it. And that's what made the robbery like you, you feel for him during the robbery. Uh, oh, because, yes. So because, I may, oh, go ahead, Brad. Sorry. Yeah. So like because when I reviewed this, I actually felt like this is that was what kind of made it like a tense but like you know familiar bank robbery and it didn't like measure up to i felt like what it was trying to be which is like dog day afternoon basically oh, um well is great in it and he elevates the movie but like knowing knowing that up front i didn't necessarily feel i, I felt like it kind of i don't know took the wind out of the sails a little bit but if this if they changed it so that they reveal this at the end that's kind of interesting yeah well so again when i saw it i can only sp and i may have gotten the number wrong but it was a small number like under a thousand dollars and yeah so uh my memory is that it 
it doesn't you don't find this out until much later in the movie uh so i mean that you know they may have changed that interesting okay well now i'm kind of torn on this <laughs> um, yeah because it, it, like it punched me in the gut get... the way that it's revealed I like the idea of everybody getting one thing on this list as like their personal passionate choice. It's like this is Ryan's, and I he has my back if he uh, uh, if he wants to push this one. Yeah, me too. All right, let's lock it All in. All right, thanks, guys. Hey, Ryan, uh, kill some stuff. Okay, uh, I, again, I'm going. These are the ones I'm going for now. Is like when we're just putting like an actor and them in the movie. That's not a moment. <laughs> So Brad Pitt and Bullet Train. I liked Bullet Train. Not a moment. It, let's kill it. Uh, and yeah, then the other thing I was... I think Brad Pitt's really, really fun in a bad, in a bad movie. It's gone. Okay, fair, thank you. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is, and maybe we can also discuss the two moments in this movie, is that uh, if Deadstream makes this list, and I mean if because I would push for it not to, um, I, the old woman's advice is not the moment in that movie that's going to make it with these other 50. It's just not. Uh, you could maybe argue the final stretch, which is the other thing we have on this list. Um, but I, I would I argue for the final stretch. I would kill the old woman's advice. I would fight for the final stretch. And um, I thought I'm, I'm someone afraid. might, but you know, I just want to make sure that we're let's let's argue for the things we really want to argue for. So let's kill the old woman's advice here. I was going to pick old woman's advice for my next pick, um, and I, I'll kill it in order to keep Desiree on the list in another way. Can I at least say a final thing where why I put the old woman's advice on this list? Of course. And this is that uh, Deadstream is a found footage horror movie, a horror, horror, found footage horror comedy. The main character is this obnoxious YouTuber. And throughout the entire movie, he's interacting with his commenters and his live stream. And uh, co- certain commenters like send in video response and start live streaming with him. And it, it, it takes the classic um, horror movie reveal of, you know, how do we get out of this cursed situation? Um, by bringing into the YouTube age. It is one of the few times a found footage horror movie has literally broken the mold. It has taken a form people have beaten to death for 20 years and, said, and like has genuinely taken modern technology, modern ideas, modern ideas of how we communicate and put them on the screen in a way that actually remixes, reinvents, and reinvigorates found footage. And the old woman popping in um, to offer him some advice and, and, the, and the punchline is that her sage wise advice to get out of this horrible situation he destroyed in the first five minutes of the movie is incredibly funny. Um, it, but I think it's it, so funny. <laughs> um, but if, 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 if I can get more support for Deadstream for the final stretch and a future argument, then I'm going to cut Oldman's advice right now. So I will stop. go with you to, to keep that end stretch. All right. I'm going to put the final stretch of Deadstream in, in discussion. So can, I, discuss can I make a discussion? We really got a lot to get through. If you two feel strongly enough about that last bit of Deadstream, I would support just moving it into in so we can start really starting to try to whittle this down. Okay, in that case, I'll let BJ say something as well. But the final stretch of Deadstream is the only time I've seen a found footage horror comedy truly work. It is genuinely a Sam Raimi-esque Evil Dead 2 blend of gross nastiness, genuine scares, and brilliant physical comedy, all done in found footage in a way that absolutely works. I think the final the final 15 minutes of Deadstream is just absolute zany insan- insanity. I love it. BJ, am I right? 
Oh, you're absolutely right. Deadstream was one of my favorite movies of the year. If I had done a list on horror, it would have easily been in the top three. I was just absolutely obsessed with it. Uh, Joseph and Vanessa Winter are definitely two people that everybody should have on their radar. And on that note, I do think that we can also kill their segment from VHS. Um, Not because I don't think it's wonderful, because I genuinely do think it's wonderful. But I think the end stretch of Deadstream is stronger for me. And if we're going to have them represented on this list, I would love for it to be Deadstream because it is such a revolutionary approach to POV horror. Yeah, I put to Hell and Back from VHS 99 on this list. VHS 99 is the worst VHS movie. I think it's very, very bad until Hell and Back, which is the Winters is segment, which is so awesome. But I'm, how about we cut Hell and Back and with the permission of everybody else, move the final stretch of Deadstream into, into Locked In and celebrate the Winters uh, duo that way. Works for me. Hell yeah. Do Does anybody have any objections to Deadstream being in top 50? Okay, I'm putting it in there. Locked in. Congratulations, PJ. We did it. Um, yeah. Ryan, what else do you want to kill? Um. Uh, okay, well, th- those were a couple. I, so I, I'm going to do a slightly unconventional one here. I would wager we kill everything from Elvis except uh, the trouble sequence, which isn't labeled as such in here, but it's essentially the... Um, you know, when Elvis uh, chooses to wiggle and, uh, and uh, it, you know, goes against being the new Elvis. I think if we're going to keep any scene from Elvis, that's, to me, easily the one. Um, and then, you know, like, I don't think we need more moments from Elvis. So I think we can boil Elvis down to one because it should be in there. But, like, let's kill the rest. I'm okay with this considering we put the he's white moment on our funniest moments uh, of the year because <laughs> it is a it is a spectacular hilarious uh, moment in in this movie. Um, but but yeah, I think I do agree uh, that that one moment Elvis is kind of more representative of just the greatness of this movie. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's fine. I agree. Yeah, I think that's the one. That I, I I think I, I think straight up we move. Elvis chooses the wiggle and gets arrested right into the locked in because Elvis should be on this list. Kill the other three and move on. Right, and that's what I'm saying. And then that helps us get through some more of this. So I, that would be my suggestion. All right. Any objections to this? All right, it's done. Cool. Okay. Do you have anything else you want to mention while it's your turn, uh, Ryan? Uh, no, I'm good. Let's let's get cooking. All right. So I was going to pick Deadstream for my next pick. So give me one second to scroll down and grab. Okay. We cannot talk about. 2022 and horror movies in 2022, uh, like one of the best years for horror of all time, like straight up, without talking about Terrifier 2, a movie that is um, a fascinating thing, a two and a half hour long slasher sequel to one of the worst films I've ever seen that I actually really like. Um, Terrifier 2 is deeply gnarly, deeply upsetting, deeply stupid, deeply fascinating. I'm not so sure if it's a good movie. Or a movie I just find super interesting, but man, is it made? It doesn't do what it sets out to do. And the bedroom murder—if I described the bedroom murder—I'd um, be arrested. The police would be called on me um, for like describing the, what goes down when Art the clown, the slasher villain, what he does to this woman in her room in a scene that has no digital effects. It's all practical, but it's by far the darkest, gnarliest, most upsetting, but also goes on so long and starts becoming funny death scene of 2022. Um, I feel like we, we I feel like terrifier two was such a breakout piece of weirdness. It's already, it's already become such a cult item. Like, uh, like in record time, I feel like this, this is the scene to recognize from terrifier two. 
I'm with you on it. And I very much feel the same way in terms of like, I really, really hated the first movie. And I was shocked at how much I enjoyed the second one. Um, And that scene is out of this world. (laughs) And yeah, you're right. You can't describe it because we'll get put on a list. I mean, this movie was like such a big deal. I didn't see it, but I feel like it. we should have something from the film on our list just because it's so unlikely a success story this year, just from like a business perspective, um, which I feel like Ryan would, would probably appreciate if, if nobody else. So I'm in support of you guys putting this on there. Yeah, I sort of because I actually ended up not seeing it because I just heard like what the amount of gore was. And I just know that's not my sort of thing and sitting through two and a half hours of it. But I'm with Ben. This was kind of a, like a very unlikely success story last year. And I think for to honor those people uh, and the year of horror that was 2022, I think it's fair to have it on there. Yeah. All right. Terrifier 2 is on this list. Um, apologies, people with good taste. <laughs> All right. I'm going to kill some rapid ones that I put on this list. Uh, Battle on the Black and White Planet and Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder is the most disappointed I've ever been by a major movie in the past five years. Um, I think it's a disaster. But I think the Battle on the Black and White Planet, where it's splashes of color, is super cool and represents a much better movie than what we got. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, kill it. It was, it was so nice. Like, just for a little while, it was like, oh, this is a, almost a good movie. And then kind of goes <laughs> downhill again. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. I'm going to cut Zephyr's Third Wish from 3,000 Years of Longing. I really wanted to get a moment from this movie on the list. But I realized, I think George Miller's film here is such a composed overall thing that I don't think individual moments shine as brightly as the bigger picture, like taking a retrospect. So I have a hard time justifying any moment from this movie, even though I really like it. So. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Um, there are um, two moments from men on this list. I think Men is a fascinating, misguided mess that I kind of love. It's completely shouldn't have been made by Alex Garland, who clearly is who's probably he's, he's punching outside of a certain weight class or his, his division here with the stuff he wants to talk about. But there's no denying the effectiveness of individual moments. But also the scenes I have here are the rebirthing scene, which is the end. If you've seen the movie, you know the one I'm talking about, yeah. and the priest scene, um, where the where the, a, a priest tries to gaslight the main character into thinking she's at fault are scenes I found very effective in a vacuum. Uh, but I also am cool cutting men because I know that this is a movie that a lot of people are very not happy about. I will fight to keep the birthing scene just because it was so, it was, it just keeps going and it's so ridiculous. And people walked out of the screening that I was in um, <laughs> because they were upset by it. And uh, it's just like that you get this slow burn movie for, for most of it. And then at the end it just goes, well, we're gonna go. A bit, we're gonna go a bit nuts here. Um, yeah, had I not been on a date with my then pretty new girlfriend, I would have walked out. Um, and I've only walked out of two <laughs> movies in my life. Uh, I'm gonna have a hard time helping put together this list, and then like in good conscience, like let this movie on there. <laughs> like I really thought this was a terrible movie. So we 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 can cut the priest scene. I, I think I think that um. It's a really effective scene, but um, it sounds like we should at least put rebirthing in, in discussion because uh, Hannah seems to be a fan, and I am too. Even though I'm, I'm also a fan of the rebirthing scene. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. I'm gonna make one more suggestion, and um, 
I feel bad because uh, Chris Evangelist helped assemble this list, but even though he couldn't be on the podcast, and he's the one to put Blonde on this list. He's specifically the threesome scene, and he specifies it's not for gross reasons. That was me. I put that on here. Oh, you did. Oh, I assume this was Chris. Yeah, because Chris and I, I feel like, are the only two people who actually liked Blonde. <laughs> in that case, um, I, won't, in case I, won't, I won't cut it because I thought it would, I thought it would be an easy cut since Chris wouldn't be here to defend. No, you can you can cut it. I just wanted to mention it. Um, the, the reason that I put it on here was because I thought it was obviously there's like so much noise around this movie and so much controversy and everything. But I think, you know, cutting all of that aside, this is a really super artfully done threesome scene. I put not for gross reasons in, in the parentheses here um, because everything is distorted and stretched. It's really interestingly shot. It, it sort of reflects not only the way that the movie is choosing to portray Marilyn Monroe, who's played by Ana de Armas here, where it sort of contorts her body as the movie contorts her real story, but it also reflects the uh, this really messed up and distorted relationship she has to these two fail-son characters who are children of celebrities that she sort of hangs out with in the movie. And um, I'm guessing, I, I, you know, I put it on the list knowing that it wasn't going to make it, so I just wanted to have the opportunity to, like, shout out that moment in a movie that I know a lot of people think is a big mess or even, like, outright offensive. But um, I think Chris and I appreciated it, and I just wanted to... Uh, Give a little tip of the cap to Blonde before we pass it on. All right. It's gone, and I'm moving on. Ben, it actually is your turn now. Oh, okay. Uh, actually, before we do that, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., all right, let's dive into the After Yang uh, options we have here. We have three moments from After Yang. The opening credits dance off, which, uh, and we also have uh, Colin Farrell stands in the rain and Colin Farrell discovers Yang's past. Um, for me, the, I, I love After Yang. This is one of my favorite movies of the year. The one that I would argue for here is Colin Farrell stands in the rain. Um, in a movie that, that is about understanding what it means to be human, Colin Farrell's character remembers these conversations that he's had with his broken android yang and at a certain point he accesses glasses that let him see fragments of yang's memories and through that he learns to kind of um appreciate beauty in the small things which is represented i think by a moment where he is at home alone and he notices that it's raining outside and he steps out into the rain and turns his face skyward in this moment of serenity and it's not overplayed koganata the the writer and director is too um, subtle a filmmaker for this to be some kind of big like Andy Dufresne arms to the sky moment from Shawshank Redemption but I thought it was a really powerful summation of one of the movie's core themes which is like this you know taking like learning and then putting that what you've learned into action um, 
the other moments on this list for After Yang are great as well. Um, but I think if we're going to pick one from that movie, that would be the one for me. I don't know if anybody agrees or wants to make a case for another one or what. I, ben, I figured you would make a case for that one because I remember you talking about how much you love that moment. But uh, for me, the, the standout is Colin Farrell discovering Yang's past uh, as he uses Yang's uh, operating system to like uh, discover that Yang lived previous lives with other families. And the way that that unfolds, it does so in such a simple fashion. You don't get these long uh, scenes that just, you know, show what happens. You get the story unfolding as Yang is able to record it because uh, he's a special android and that he was a prototype where they wanted to see what uh, androids, and they're very, um, like, uh, basically very human-like and they have very advanced artificial intelligence. And they want uh, they wanted to see what, androids deemed important enough to remember as memories uh throughout their lives and as colin farrell watches these they are basically short like five second five to ten second clips that unfold in uh you know various orders and he learns and sees the kind of sad lives that yang has lived before not because he's this subservient android but because uh he starts to become more human he starts to care for the people that he's he's with and so you see the family that he lived with before and you watch uh the the kid of that family that he uh, was paired with grow up and go off to college and his mother becoming sad about it. And then uh, he um, meets the the new caretaker for that kid's mom. And it's played by uh, Haley Lee Richardson. And he has, a, you see that he has an affinity for her, the way he admires her in these quick shots. And in between the, all those little moments, you also get these completely random shots where Yang is just looking at things that are beautiful in, in nature, in the house, things like that. And it really creates this vibe of just appreciating uh, the ordinary and the beauty and things that you might not necessarily always, you know, take note of around you. And so to me, like that, that was the sequence that like totally broke me uh, in this movie. Uh, so that's the one that I would keep. And it, to me, it sounds like we need to keep two moments from this movie. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I think we're at a point. I haven't seen after Yang, but I would say that I think we're at a point where it's going to be hard to get a lot of these movies to have two moments. And I think we might have to start making some tough decisions about what movies do get two moments. I'm and... not ready to make that decision based on the rest of the trash that's on the rest of this list. So. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But um, I'm saying I think that conversation's coming and it's coming fast. So like, yeah, yeah, I mean, Ryan, you're you're right about that. And and Brad, I think you spoke so well about that moment that I'm just going to change my thing to to Colin Farrell discovers Yang's past just so we can potentially lock that in and then we can just get rid of the other moments because I sort of said my piece about why that oh. stands in the rain thing worked. So, okay. um, and also we should say that opening credits dance off in After Yang is awesome because it is, it is. It's, it's, so un good. it's unlike anything in the rest of the movie. It's so much fun and what you don't realize until you go back and watch it again is that everybody that's featured are characters that you meet throughout the rest of the movie. So yeah, good stuff. All right, so should we lock in Colin Farrell discovers Yang's past and kill the other two? Because I feel like Brad and Ben uh, seem to be very much on board. A movie that made our top 15 of on Slash Film, so I'm, I'm happy with this being on the list. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. move. All right, um, so what are we going to kill next, Ben? Okay, so I think we should kill, you know, all respect, um, but I think we should kill every weird thing Kristen Stewart is doing in Crimes of the Future and Ear Man in Crimes of the Future. Um, this movie, you know, I, I thought it was like fine, but, um, I don't think either of these moments belong in this list. I don't know if anybody has a case for them. Weird movie. Uh, it's fine. Like it's, if Chris was here, I think there'd be an argument, but Chris is not here. So I think we can kill him. <laughs> yeah. I just want to give it a shout out. I really did have a fun time with it. It didn't make my top 10. Um, but I was very happy to see him back, but you know, 
it, if, if this is a movie that works for you, then you're not going to be offended that it's not on this list. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, respect to Kristen Stewart, respect to David, Cron- uh, David Cronenberg. But yeah, I think these can go. All right, they're gone. Uh, Jacob, can I nominate two more to cut? Yeah. The story finally comes together in She Said and Harvey Weinstein comes into the New York Times office in She Said. I think She Said is like um, an admirable movie, but it just kind of dies on the page a little bit. It it doesn't really have the sort of vitality and pulse and like um, uh, forward momentum that a, a real thrilling journalism movie requires, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and I think these moments are like fine in context, but they don't stand out to me in the totality of 2022 moments enough to, to make it on this list. Yeah. So, uh, I think, I don't know. I put the Harvey Weinstein one on there and I'll, I'll explain why, because I think that this is actually one of the, the points in the movie that actually does something great. And it's not just a simple, like, uh, you know, mirroring of all the president's men or spotlight or anything like that. And it's because, uh, throughout the entire thing, obviously, you have these reporters, they're trying to track down the story, getting somebody to commit to accusing Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault and, and you know, all, all of his sins. Um, and he's he's there as a presence, like he makes phone calls and clearly he's like uh, cast a shadow because people are scared of him. And what I love about when he um, after the um, they're getting ready to publish the story. Harvey Weinstein uh, wants to come into the office to talk to the reporters. And when that happens, you don't get a scene of the reporters sitting and having a conversation with Harvey Weinstein in the way that you would. What they do is they show Harvey Weinstein talking uh, to Carrie Mulligan and some of the other reporters, but you don't hear anything he has to say. And the fact that they take away like Harvey Weinstein's ability to speak and defend himself about this, especially since he was given so many chances before and there's really no defense for it, the fact that they totally gloss over that and don't even give him a moment as a character to to say anything i thought was was perfect yeah it's a really nice middle finger to give to him i do kind of feel in the on the the sense of like this movie really didn't work for me in a way that i wish that it would have um but that is a moment that i think is really really strong but i also don't think that it needs to be on the list for the best moments of the year because as far as i'm concerned um the the real the real win for us all is that he's out of here and he can go f off into the sun. Yeah, I'm 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 fine cutting uh, cutting them. I just wanted to talk about that scene because I did think that that was particularly great in the movie. All right, let's chop them both. We set our pieces. All right, anything else you want to nominate? No. Next up. All right, BJ, you're up to keep something. Alrighty, so this is going to be my one that I'm sure is one people didn't see a lot that I am going to fight for until I die. But it's Simon and pa- Simon and Patty writing Watermelon in Dinner in America. Um, Dinner in America is a movie that I saw all the way back in 2020. It did not get a wide release until 2022 uh, because of a lot of nonsense that I've written about, and you can read about it on the site. But this scene is. It is a perfect scene. This movie to me is a perfect movie. Um, There are not a lot of movies about punk um, that are set anywhere outside of Los Angeles and New York. This is one that's set in Detroit and it's punk Midwest kids having to live in a world that a lot of people like to pretend doesn't exist anymore, uh, where we have people using slurs comfortably uh, and making you really uncomfortable because uh, I'm a Midwest trash baby and 
that's the life I came from and it sucks. And this is a movie that acknowledges that. And it's about two kids that are misunderstood by society, uh, finding something beautiful and writing the perfect, uh, you know, power pop love song. And Watermelon is a perfect power pop love song. Emily Skeggs sings it. It's her and Kyle Gallner. This is the best performance Kyle Gallner's ever given in his career. And it absolutely like personally kills me that this is a movie that went completely underseen. Uh, BJ, you've been talking about this movie to me uh, for work purposes for like close to a year now. Um, like I said, I'm all for everybody getting like their one personal pick on this list, and I know this is yours, so you have my. I think it should go on the list. Just because if it, it's the very least to get people to go seek out this movie. It's incredible. It's if you're in the states, it's on Hulu. It is unbelievable. And the only caveat I ever give people is that the the first 15 minutes is really hard to sit through because it's really uncomfortable. But then I need you to remind yourself that that is the everyday life of everybody who lives in a flyover state, and it sucks. And it's okay for it to suck. Sit with that discomfort. It's an amazing movie. Well, now I definitely want to see this movie. And since you are so passionate about, it, yeah, I'm totally cool with it and making the list. Yeah, same. Amazing. Right. Uh, I would like to point out, uh, currently, at, with that last edition, we have 30 scenes locked in for the list. Uh, and so that means we only have 20 more that will make the list. And oh, my God. <laughs> there's, a, there's a pretty good chunk in the discussion. So I think we need to start being a little bit more brutal with the ones that we haven't talked about or addressed yet. Yeah, with that said, BJ, let's kill some shit. All right, I'm going to kill some stuff. Some of that is going to hurt me as well, as much as it's going to hurt you, but that's fine. Um, so I'm going to kill Emma Thompson Looks in the Mirror and Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, a movie that I absolutely loved, um, but I also don't think that that moment is top 50, but it is amazing. Everybody should watch that movie. Another movie that's on Hulu. Um, I'm going to kill... But Ben put Good Luck to You, Grand very high as top 10. I'll, I'll make yeah. sure. I put this on here. I mean, I guess because of what Brad just laid out, and then we have so much other stuff um, that it, it makes sense to cut this. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, but it's I'm so gonna, good. <laughs> I'm gonna say, uh, hold on because it's, it's funny because I, I did just bring that up, but I do think that this moment in particular, I think, is different than any other moment that we have on this list. And I just, I just love what it represents for an older woman's sexuality. Uh, Emma Thompson, you know, doing this full frontal nudity scene to just reflect upon herself and just, just, just the beauty of it. And it's, it's this great moment in this movie for, uh, you know, uh, an older woman. And you don't really get to see an older woman's sexuality explored in this way in, in movies like this. And so like, I, honestly, I, I think this should be in the top 50. <laughs> Well, if it has support, that was going to be the next thing that I nominated. See, yeah, that's the so. thing is like, I wasn't sure that this was going to have support. So I was like, I guess I'll kill it because I don't think it's top 50. Uh, it is a beautiful, absolutely stunning moment. Um, Emma Thompson is so good. I love a two-hander and that movie is a great two-hander. Yeah, it would also be a good way to like uh, sneakily recommend that more people check out the movie because I think it, that's it, true. it's relatively underseen. So if it's on the list, maybe people will watch it. I don't know. I say fuck it on the list, lock it in. But All then right, we, we gotta go. start really taking lambs to the slaughter, All right. though. <laughs> All right, I got pl I got some that we can slaughter, even you know, as much as I love it. Um, both of the moments in Orphan First Kill, uh, I think they could probably go. They are incredible, but I think that they are incredibly niche and specific to as to why they're incredible. Um, my personal favorite, as much as Mom showing her true colors, I'm so glad Julia Stiles got to have a villain arc. I love her. Uh, the Drive to Maniac also hilarious, but I I think that. Again, this is a movie that if it's not on the list, people are not going to be offended by it. And then, um, can we say though that Orphan First Kill is so much better than it should be? Yes, it's <laughs> unbelievable. 
<laughs> and this was actually going to be, I was going to cut like both of these as well, but the maniac, that needle drop is just so incredible. It's so good. <laughs> it's so on the nose in the best way. I just, I love that moment. But I think in, the, in terms of a top 50, it probably wouldn't make it in. But if you haven't seen Orphan First Kill, treat yourself. Yeah, killing them, but Orphan First Kill gets a, gets a recommendation from all of us. Yeah. And then another one that I think can go as much as this one's going to kill me on like a religious level. I think the death in Dewey and scream can go. Um, I love Dewey. He is, I have a, I have a shirt that just says David Arquette in the scream font. Like I love (laughs) Dewey. Um, But it's not top 50 for me. I think if this was a horror specific list, a hundred percent, it would be there. But of the year, I don't think so. I was actually going to kill. I was actually going to kill both scream scenes on my next one. Yeah, so so I'm full support. <laughs> yeah, because I think scream is is a lot of fun and it's good. But yeah, for for me, it doesn't have any like standout. Wow, this is one of the best movie moments of the year. Does anybody other than me think that Richie showing his true colors in scream is worth fighting for? Because if, if not, I'll kill it with I'll kill it with the alongside the other scream scene right now. I think that it can also go. I will say that scream the scream five. I guess technically scream five. Uh, making it about toxic fandom and making the, the killer a like redditor last Jedi hating uh, so idiot. good, so smart, it's so, so good. Smart. But yeah, we we'll we'll cut them both. It is smart, but yeah, as far as we're getting down to the we're getting down to it here, I think. All right, gone. What else, BJ? Um, and then I also think that we can get rid of um. The storylines colliding in Matilda of the Musical, if only because I think Revolting Children does need to be there. Um, yeah, this is going to be my next pick, Revolting Children. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, yeah, sorry. I, I put storylines collide on there because that was the moment that made me cry. Um, I, I just Aww. really loved uh, it, I, I loved this movie. I think this is another one that sort of was dropped on Netflix at the end of the year and not enough people have seen it or are talking about it. So um, this is a, a really good moment. But yeah, I mean, we have so much stuff to get through. So let's go ahead and cut that one. All right. Okay. Anything else you want to kill BJ while while you have the floor? Um, I'll kill one that I put on there, which is the niche pop culture pool party in Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Um, because again, I think probably my Bolo- my Bologna it should be there. Uh, but I loved that moment so much because I love cult cinema. I love dismissed cinema. I love weirdos in pop culture that don't get talked about. Like I have a Tiny Tim worship candle. Uh, so getting to see Tiny Tim like randomly pop up, played by Dimitri Martin, no less, uh, was an absolute delight as well as, you know, Elvira, divine people that I love. Uh, that scene was just a, a love letter to everything that I love. Um, so I loved it, but it, you know, it can go. All right. Okay. Uh, Hannah, is something you want to nominate Matilda? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was actually going to pick this next. So I might as well. Um, if you haven't seen Matilda the Musical, it's so good. And we've really, we've had a rough time with musicals because of Tom Hooper. We, we had Les Mis, which was not good. We had Cats, which was lots of meme material in Cats. But Tom Hooper is just not good at directing musicals. He's really screen. not. Like, first of all, we had Les Mis, where he was like, we should record all the singing live on set. And, like, the sound recordist was like, we really shouldn't. We really should record the music in studio. Um, But anyway, this isn't about Tom Hooper. Uh, This is about Matilda the Musical, which is just a really, really tightly directed movie musical with incredible choreography. And Revolting Children is kind of the, the pinnacle because it has, I don't know how many children they had in this cast all dancing at the same time who had to be completely in sync like there's at one point a girl climbs up 
a locker and then does a backflip off it. And that's in the background. It's just a little thing they peppered in for fun. Um, uh, this is actually the scene, kind of the, the big musical moment that went viral because people were like, what the hell is this movie? Why is this choreography so good? Um, and so it's really, really incredible performances. And it also really captures the spirit of the movie, which is something I really liked in children's movies this year, which was the idea that obedience is not necessarily a good thing and that you shouldn't necessarily respect your elders because some of them are monsters. And uh, yeah, and if you want things to change, you're going to have to fight back because no one else is going to change them for you. Um, and Revolting Children is very much kind of uh, the climax of the movie where <laughs> where the kids have just had enough of this school and they tear it to shreds. And I loved it. And that's why I would like it on the list. I think Ben's also a big fan of this movie and probably support yeah. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Yeah, it's amazing. And also just like kudos to Tim Minchin, who does the music for this, because revolting children is such amazing wordplay between Trunchbull finding them revolting and then them rising up and having a revolt. Uh, poetry. <laughs> Especially the song earlier in the movie as well, the school song, where you realize they're spelling out the alphabet. Oh, uh, <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's so good. All right. It sounds like a top 50 to me. Yes, do it. Okay, Hannah, what, what do you want to kill? Uh, let's see, cut orphan moments. I would, kind of killing my darlings here, but I'm going to do a horror bloodbath and cut both bones and all scenes and both fresh moments. Even though I liked both of those films, I just don't know if they're top 50 material. Um, although I did really love the cannibal dinner date in Fresh, and some people might fight me on that one. You're cutting both cannibal movies, Anna. Am I? Oh, oh yeah, I am. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I've just gone off cannibals this year. Maybe I rewatched cannibals <laughs> many times. Got oversaturated. I'll say as much. I love Bones and All. I barely missed my top ten. Um, but what? But I think that the movie, like, um, I like Three Thousand Years of Longing. It's such a complete piece that it's hard for me to isolate a single great moment, as opposed to the texture of the whole thing. So unless the moments we have here are, are Sully is torn apart, R.I.P. Sully, a character who I found hilarious, uh, even though I'm not sure he's supposed to be supposed to be funny, but I, I did. Um, and Lee shares his backstory, which is uh, Toby Chalamet's big monologue at the end. Um, I put these both on here. I'm cool cutting them. Unless anybody else wants to go to bat for them. Yeah, I agree that Bones and was kind of a vibes movie. Yeah, I, I co-signed to everything that has been said. Both of these movies I quite liked, but I do think that in the in the case of Bones and All those moments are more strong when you have the context around them. And then in terms of fresh, like definitely good stuff, definitely a lot of fun. I don't know if top 50. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should cut both scenes from fresh. I mean, I, I know it's a good movie, but we're, we're getting down the wire here. Do it. All right. Anything else you want to cut Hannah while you have the floor? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, let's see if I got any other picks. Hmm. I'm gonna leave it for now because I don't want to. I don't want to cut anything too hastily. All right, Brad, what do you want to keep? Um, what do I want to keep from this list? Uh, do I want to keep anything from this list? Uh, yes, I do. Um, so there's two tar scenes on here. I put the one shot classroom scene on here because it's an incredibly, uh, you know, well done sequence that is one of those long takes, and Kate Blanchett is fantastic in it. But I think the one that is probably best representative of Tar uh, is Lita Tar totally losing her shit. Uh, in tar and so I, I think a scene from tar deserves to be on, on the list uh we can put it in discussion if you know if we need to um but the one that i would nominate would be lydia tar totally losing her shit in tar i think it would be um a bad movie website if we don't have a scene from tar in our top 50 there you go that was like one of the most discussed films of the past couple yeah months, right? and i'm i'm all in on 
Lydia Tarr losing her shit because I love women losing their shit scenes. I think the one shot classroom thing is probably like the more talked about aspect of the movie because it's such a, a centerpiece. But I also love the idea of that not being on the list and her losing her shit actually being there instead. So we can talk about something other than that scene. So I support you, Brad. Cool. All right. So we're cutting one shot and locking in Lydia Tarr losing her shit. Let's do it. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Okay, Brad, kill some stuff. All right, um, I'm, I put this on the list. I'm going to kill it. Uh, it's, it's a fun scene. Doesn't need to make the top 50. Uh, Brad Pitt comes to the rescue and then gets killed in no. the Lost City. This is a very funny scene. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really funny scene in this movie. Brad Pitt shows up. He's basically the real-life incarnation of the ad- adventurer hot guy characters that Sandra Bullock's author character writes about. Shows up and saves Sandra Bullock from this hostage situation. Uh, they escape into the jungle, and then as they're uh, making their um, escape, Brad Pitt is suddenly shot and is completely dead. <laughs> um, there's there's no coming back for him, and it's it's for me. I think even though it's a funny moment this year, I think that there are plenty of other movies that have done this before, where they've introduced a character in a heroic way and then immediately dispatched with them in in a hilarious fashion. So it's not necessarily offering anything fresh, as entertaining as it is. And so I I don't think it's a top fifty moment based on everything else that is. A, locked in, and B, still in discussion. Mm, I would kill other stuff before I would kill that. That was, I thought, such a wonderful... And also, Brad Pitt is so good for the little bit of time he's in that movie. And, I mean, is anyone else going to back me up here, or should I just stop right now? I think you said your piece. I think we can kill it. That's my opinion. I think the reason it doesn't make it is because he's not really dead. Brad, did you see the post-credits scene? Oh, that's right. Oh, there is a post-credits scene. Fuck, Ben, you're right. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like it's not even quite as effective yeah yeah as a, i forgot as about it. i think i forgot about the credit yeah you're never right. mind Cut. i forgot right. about the credit scene too ben just sold me all right it's gone all right brad hey. you want else? um gosh let's see i always pass on we can always keep this moving in our direction yeah i'm gonna pass just because they're like uh like three or two or three of these i haven't seen and well you know what let's dig into the unbearable weight of massive talent uh I think if we're going to choose a scene from that movie that would make it, it would be Nicolas Cage having a conversation with himself, his, the younger version of himself, because the Paddington 2 stuff is really funny and, and cute and uh, whatnot, but if, if a scene from that, the movie does make it, it would be Nicolas Cage talking to himself. What do you guys think? Oh, no, 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 no. No, oh, I was going to sign off on what Brad's saying. cut them both! No, 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 I was going to say, I was going to sign off on what Brad's saying. Like, I think that movie deserves more representation, but like, the Paddington 2 thing is not nearly as good as Nicolas Cage talking to Nicolas Cage. It's not even close. The Paddington 2 stuff is the best part of the movie. The movie's adds worse when it's being wink, wink, Nicolas Cage, and that's best when it's being Nick no, Cage. No, 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 Nicolas no, no. No, 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 around, being no, no. I think the Nicolas Cage stuff, Paddington 2 stuff is, is like, it's, it's cute, but I feel like most people just like it because it's echoing the fact that everybody loves Paddington 2, which is fine. Right. Paddington 2 is wonderful. It's lovely. But Nicolas Cage having a conversation with his younger self, especially when like they're getting all riled up, like that's that's funny and that's good stuff. The funniest line of oh, I think I saw in anything all year was Nick Cage smooches good, and like that was like that seriously leveled me. And yeah, no, I I I if we're gonna keep unbearable weight, that's gotta be that. <laughs> all right, I need everybody else <laughs> figure this out. Uh, Hannah, what do you think? I have not seen this Nicolas Cage movie yet. I'm very sorry, Nicolas Cage, if you're listening. You probably are. Uh, I promise <laughs> I will see it. 
So I don't want to I don't want to throw a wrench into people's plans, but we did include Nicolas Cage talking to himself on the funniest scenes of the year. Does that change anything for people? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to me, in this case, it makes it stronger. It makes it <laughs> yeah. represented elsewhere. It doesn't need to be on two lists. Yes, well, yeah, I, uh, but this was but a that, comedy. That's, that's fine, but I don't want the other scene on the list then. I, th- well, I really. How about, how about we all hold hands? We escort both scenes to the cliff. We toss them both over. Okay. Yeah, I, fine. I yep. R.I.P. Bye. <laughs> I do think that um, Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage hanging out is is incredibly fun. In that movie. I wish there was more of it. Um. All right. Uh, do you want to kill anything else, Ryan? Oh, I think it was me that was killing stuff, actually. Yeah, Sorry, Brad's killing stuff. Uh, no, I'm good. Somebody else can go. Okay, Ryan. Um, not much left in the main list. What do you want? Is there anything there you want to keep before we start All killing? Right. So I'm going to go on a bit of a killing spree here with what we got left. Uh, so I think we have we need to get Black Phone on this list. And I'm going to quickly just make the case to say that the escape attempt at the end of the movie, which is, I think, what we're getting at with that escape attempt... Um, sort of takes everything that that movie builds up to and leads to like a really wonderfully satisfying conclusion to a really wonderful movie. And I think if we're going to keep anything from black phone, it probably should be that we can kill the rest is uh, I think we only have one left, but uh, is it fair? Can I, am I going to get any pushback on that or can we just. Oh, go ahead. I would say if only if we can shout out that Madeline McGraw yelling at Jesus is one of the funniest things you've ever seen. (laughs) It's so good. It's so So good. good. In addition to loving horror movie monologues, I love mouthy little girls in horror. Like, oh my god, and she's great. We did an article about Violet McGraw and Madeline McGraw, who kind of the... We did! (laughs) Because I I wrote that one, because once I figured out they were sisters, I like, my head exploded. (laughs) Alright, as long as we acknowledge that her yelling at Jesus is like the funniest moment in a bleak horror movie that needs that comedy desperately, um, and and, uh, then we can cut it, and and I I think the escape attempt, uh, meaning that, yeah, the climax of the movie where all the various pieces come together and he executes the escape from the grabber using all that he's learned from the ghosts and a truly satisfying like slam down on a really heinous villain. Um, yeah, I, I think the black phone escape, escape sequence belongs in top 50. We can kill yelling at Jesus, even though it will be my personal choice because I want to keep this moving. Yeah. But I also just think w- w- let's, let's get to the point. We're only going to get one on there. And I think that's yeah. the one. So, all right, now let's go on a bit of a killing well, spree here, folks. Well, okay, so if anybody ag- disagree with the escape attempt from black phone should not be on the top 50. I mean, I was going to cut both black phone scenes, but if we're going to keep one, it should be the escape attempt for the same reasons as kind of the final fight and pray. So yeah, I support that. Yeah. All right. I like black phone a lot. Let's lock it in. Okay, cool. Um, so look, I'm just like I just want to force discussion here. I've not seen Speak No Evil. Are either of those scenes really worth keeping, or can oh, we? Oh God, they're so good. Oh, <laughs> okay. oh boy, oh boy. Okay, okay, fair enough. I haven't seen it yet, but I want to force these discussions. So like, which... let's have real quick. Um, BJ, was he? Was he, you've seen this? Oh yeah, I've seen this at okay. that time. <laughs> Who else has seen Speak No Evil? Just me and BJ. Okay, Speak No Evil is a movie about. A, uh, a a Danish couple who are invited to visit a Dutch couple they met on vacation at, at their home, and they arrive and things start going poorly. It's become a very uncomfortable time as their hosts are increasingly awkward and impolite. And it it's a movie that's, for its first hour is about how tough it is to be polite when when you're a guest and how awkward it is, how horrible it is. And it's like a skin crawling Kirby enthusiasm as dark comedy about being a guest in a home where you don't want to be there. And the back half of the movie is one of the nastiest, most unforgiving horror movies I've seen in years. And mm-hmm. the pivot point is a point where they, the main characters get in a car and they're about to leave and they turn around 
And that's a point where you know in your gut this movie's about to take a huge turn. They could have escaped and they don't. And I don't want to, the ending, I don't want to say anything because it really yeah. is. Yeah, please upset. don't because I saw the trailer for this. Yeah. I'm so glad you've reminded me. Yeah, I think it's that. the car turning around because, like you said, this entire movie sets it up where in in your gut you're like everything these people are doing is a red flag but there is always like a logical explanation for why they're acting or why they're doing things so then you start to second guess yourself and feel bad we're like oh am i assuming the worst of these people am i the asshole in this situation because i think we've all experienced that at some point where we know in our heart of hearts something is wrong but then there's a logical explanation and it's like wait maybe i'm the dick here and when they turn that car around to go back you're like no, you should have listened to your gut. Oh no, this is going to be so bad, and then it's worse than you could have ever imagined. Yeah, I think I think the lead up, the fact that make that choice, and you know, bad stuff's coming, is actually in its own weird way more impactful than the truly evil things that happen in the last. It's, it's way worse because it's that anticipation, like it is just an unforgiving sense of dread that just plagues you for the rest of the watch because you know it's going to happen, and that's worse, I think, than honestly. Like the ending is almost cathartic because it's like, oh god, at least it's finally over. <laughs> Jesus, right. yeah, you're right. well, fair enough. Okay, but I just want to, uh, but again, look at everything we have in contention. Is that top fifty material based yes. on yes. people that have yes. seen it? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, then I'm okay saying let's move it up because I think we need to really get moving. So like, like call your therapist, like have them ready after you watch this because you're gonna have to unpack some shit the next okay. day. Right, I've cut the ending, uh, but does anybody have any objections after hearing me BJ talk about this being in the top fifty? Well, I think you need to put it into discussion because we have a lot of stuff in in discussion. Okay. And That's I, what right I'm saying. Now, I think it needs right to now. Go right now, I'm hesitant to, to immediately put anything else on the list, and then uh, we need to work through the in discussion stuff. That's fair. Okay, let's figure out what else yeah, is yeah. in this on this list, and then well, we'll uh, let me let me go through finish killing some things here. Yeah. I don't think Woman King's getting two, so I think can we say that maybe the battle is gonna be the one that gets in there if if yeah. something gets in there. I don't. I don't think anything from Woman King is gonna both. make it. Okay, yeah. I'm fine with cutting both. I just wanted to at least give someone the option, but I'm okay with cutting both. Does anybody here like really want to go to bat for the Woman King? I mean, I'll lose. <laughs> No, it's um, a good movie, but I love that battle. I think it's fantastic, um, and I do think that it, it it gives an entirely different type of action sequence that we don't get to see because not only is it women just absolutely whipping ass, but it's also black women, and like that never happens. Um, and it's just, I think it's really well executed. It is shockingly violent. Um, they don't pull away. It doesn't have as many gross, choppy action cuts as I think most American action films do to where I can actually see the action that's happening. Um, I think it's really, really well done. I like, it's one of the best action scenes of the year for me because it, it it's just executed so well. Okay, can, can we go, go in discussion. discussion with it then? It can go in discussion, yeah. We can do that. Right. Should we cut the other one, though, which is uh, Nausicaa, or uh, Nausicaa is honored by the Woman King? Yeah. It's beautiful, and it made me cry, um, but yes, I think that can get cut. All right, and then I would say, as much as I enjoyed Mr. Organ, I don't think we're going to be able to make a case to make that in the top 50. I think Mr. Organ can go. Anyone else going to fight me on that? Well, I put it on this because I at least want to mention how Mr. Or- Mr. Organ's documentary about a con man who um, is the most ruthlessly boring person in the world and wears down his victims um, uh, by like literally preying on their sanity almost by, by just boring them to death. And there's a sequence of the movie where the filmmaker becomes his, vi- becomes his victim. The filmmaker is being targeted by the guy he's investigating. 
and he keeps on calling him and talks and talks and talks and destroys his life. On camera, you watch director's life get destroyed by this guy. And it's fascinating, but I don't think that people have seen it, and I'm cool cutting it. All right. Uh, and then the only other thing I'd say was Smile here. We got two. There's no way two from Smile are getting in, if any. So I would personally say if one's getting in, it's the monster reveal. But, you know, that's if one gets in. I'm with yeah. you on that. I put these both on here. I put Mother is Back, which is because I'm very deeply scared of large figures in small spaces. And the very tall mother freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, I think the monster reveal where the creature opens its face up at the very end is... Um, is, is the one point in the discussion. Yeah, and that whole scene sort of is pretty incredible. And then the only other thing I would mention, and I don't want to like, I'd like to give someone at least a chance to talk about it, but I would wager Decision to Leave is absolutely going to make this list, even though I probably mm -hmm. liked it the least out of anyone that's seen it. So yeah, we've only got one next. scene from Decision to Leave. Is it worth just, I, I don't I don't imagine that's getting killed, is it? That was going to be my next pick, yeah, because I actually didn't like Decision to Leave that much, but I love the scene where it's basically you figure out it kind of shows how a murder was committed because it seemed like the person had a clear alibi and then you kind of basically the detective is climbing the mountain and then I think it's a split screen where you also see the killer climbing the mountain um and he kind of retraces her footsteps and uh hand holds I guess as well and I'm I'm just a really big fan of mystery and I really like when the mystery is explained in movies and it's solved and I thought that was executed really well. I don't know how other people feel. I think I like Decision Eva a lot. It was another one that missed my top 10 by only a smidge. But um, this scene where the detective climbs the um, mountain, I think call it Climb the Mountain twice because we, we see him climbing it while we see the events of that day playing out in, in parallel and seeing how the murder was committed and seeing him discover as, as he climbs the mountain uh, was fascinating. It is incredible filmmaking uh, and just a bravura reveal. And I would... I think I personally think it would make my top 50, but I think we should at least bump it up to in discussion. Okay. And then uh, the, I guess I don't want to take the wheel here unnecessarily, but we've only got a handful left on the main list. Should we just work through these real fast and then get through the in discussion? Yeah. So I'm thinking um, since we're about to rotate back to me anyway, you might as well, as well go down this list and see how we feel about each of them as a group. Um, so I'll, I'll take the reins again, Ryan. Um, the credit scene for Black Panther Wakanda forever. I do think this is the most emotional moment in the movie. But looking at what we have in discussion, I think we can cut all Black Panther scenes. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. I would have a tough time cutting this because I do think it's pretty, it's a, it's a good moment. And like, it, you know, the honoring Chadwick of it all. But I guess, yeah, we've got a lot to get through. So, All right, it's gone. Angela escapes a van and Kimmy. I think Kimmy kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people this year. Anyone yeah, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed this. Yeah, it's good. Is it good enough for top 50 or good enough for us to shout out Kimmy's good? You should watch it and cut it. Yeah, that's what we should do. Yep. yep. Kimmy's great. Watch it. <laughs> All right. The Captain's Dinner and Triangle of Sadness. Anyone want to jump for this one or should we just say bye to it? There's a lot of great stuff on, on the rest of this list, but I will say that uh, this is just a phenomenally chaotic and crazy uh, scene that happens in this movie where uh, the, it's cru a cruise ship is stuck in a storm um, after a series of events uh, leads to the seafood spoiling for the Captain's Dinner Everybody, unbeknownst to them, is eating spoiled seafood. And so as the ship gets more rocked and rocked about, everybody on the ship starts vomiting all over the place. The toilets start overflowing with shit. Uh, Woody Harrelson is the captain, and he gets drunk with this uh, Russian dude, and they, they, they're just like screaming stuff over the intercom. It is a crazy, uh, insane, just fun uh, scene in, in, this, in this movie. And so, yeah, we, we can cut it, though. 
All right, Cat severs her ties with Wendell and Wild in Wendell and Wild. Wendell and Wild is good. I think we can cut this moment. It hurts my soul, but I agree because I loved this movie so much. This movie, to me, has the best soundtrack of any movie this year, and it's not even close. Whoa. All right. It's gone, but Wendell Miles is good. The creation of My Bologna and Weird, and Al- and Weird the Al Yagovic story. I'll be don't honest, you I dare guess. cut this. We, can, we cannot cut this? No, don't you dare. Don't even think about it. Yeah, I agree with Ben. There's, um, there's not a ton of straight-up comedy on this list, and this is a phenomenal parody scene. Uh, and I yeah, I think it should... I think at the very least it should be a discussion, and we can now start working through the, the in-discussion part of the list. Here's my question. I think there's a lot of love for Weird on this podcast. Um, right now we have 34 scenes locked in. If, if this gets locked in top 50, we have 35. We can pick 15 from the in-discussion list, and we're done. So I'm wondering, is Weird number 35 on this list, or number 35th addition to the list? It seemed like BJ had a pretty healthy amount of passion for this, and I haven't seen the movie yet, but I would personally be comfortable with that. I just, Daniel Radcliffe gets to be a little weirdo, and it's really, like, it's it's a scene that on paper you would read that and go, this is so stupid. But then you watch it, and you're like, no, this is brilliant. <laughs> it's so great. It is. All right. Let's put it, let's, let's make that 35, or the 35th edition to the list. The list is not ranked. All right, folks. Let me do a quick math. I'm going to do some numbering here. We have 35 moments locked in and in discussion, meaning moments we've, we've discussed in some capacity. Of those, of uh, We have 34. So of these 34 moments, we need to pick 15 to elevate and the rest get cut. So rather than go through a rotation again, here's what I want everybody to do. This is going to make for thrilling radio, but to make things easier for us. Go through and put your initials next to the 10 in-discussion points uh, moments that you think are worth talking about. Um, and if nothing has something initial next to it, we can, we can cut it. All right. So in that silence, we have all put some votes on the board, uh, for ones that, uh, and all the ones that do not have any votes, I think we should just go ahead and delete right away. Clearly. Um, those are Mrs. McCormick beckoning across the lake, um, from Betsy Vinisharan. It is gone. The Batman lights a flare in the Batman. I'm kind of surprised. I almost picked up one myself, but it's gone. The Penguin is annoyed that Batman doesn't speak Spanish. It is gone. Two Rocks in Conversation for everything everyone all at once. Uh, it is gone. I think we all put a raccoonie on that one. Um, Dr. Music Fight in Doctor Strange. I almost picked this one too, but say la vie. It is gone. The best moment in a disappointing movie. Um, I, the very last second, pulled my support for Texas Chainsaw Massacre to final moments. I think that I still stand by that moment being interesting, but it's not going to hold up at this point. Um, it's gone. Uh, Judd Hirsch's scene, The Fablemans, great scene, but it's gone. All the drone shots in Ambulance, gone. The Pete Davidson reveal in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is gone. Um, that's it. Uh, the, the next 25 all have at least some degree of support. However, it looks like almost all of us picked Rakakuni from Everything Everywhere All at Once being included in the top 50. I'm wondering if that's the one we should just go ahead and just say, yep, it's in there. I say yeah. yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. We love you, Rakakuni. All right. The Rakakuni scene from Everything Are All Ones or the Rakakuni, sub- Rakakuni subplot. Uh, truly a brilliant, weird moment in a brilliant, weird movie. Um, all the love to Randy Newman. <laughs> uh, another one that looks like it has uh, a great deal of support from most everybody is Not To Not To from RRR. Hell yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. so glad I don't have to go on a tirade to defend this. Thank you for all being smart. No, you don't. My only my only concern is getting 
like RRR is probably the one if there's going to be three because Natu Natu is for sure getting in. Yeah, Ugh, it's yeah. so good. We need Natu to represent the music in that movie because yeah. it is pretty great. Just an, an incredible dance sequence, incredible musical number, just bromance in the face of colonialism. Yeah, um, and I should say I generally hate musicals, like hate musicals, it, it, but you know, but like this, God, if that doesn't win you over so hard, it's so good. All right, let's take a quick look at the ones that only have one vote. Because um, we, a we lot of them are mine. <laughs> I I genuinely think that the Gordy attack from Nope and the fake out alien reveal of Nope can, can both go. I know Ryan and BJ both voted for those, but it's like we all, we have Nope on the board. I do I do love the Gordy attack uh, um, scenes, but yeah, considering everything else we have here and that we do have some Nope representation, I, I think that's a good call. I I've also got a couple do just want to. I need to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, BJ. I was just say I do just want to put out if we're going to get rid of the Gordy attack, I just want everyone to also know that Jordan Peele built a very, very giant living room so that a full-grown man could run around like a monkey for mocap, and that is incredible. <laughs> and I want to make sure the world knows that. Okay, it can I go. I did not know that, and I'm so glad I do now. <laughs> yeah, it can right. go, but that was important to me. Let's talk about some other ones. Only have one vote. I, I seeing where things lie. I am okay cutting um, the up the chimney scene from um, from Violent Night because I'm the only one who voted for it. Yeah, and, I I almost did, and I do love that scene. It's it's a bit of a bummer to not include it on the list, but we we do have a lot of other good stuff. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. for me, the Violent Night stuff I would have went to bat for didn't make it, and I would have liked to see that movie on this list. But whatever, it's the way the chips fell. All right, let's look at a few more ones. That only have one vote. Um, not saying that one. Not saying one vote dooms immediately. I'm supposed to be saying that we should talk about it. Um, the final battle in Avatar Way of Water only has one vote, which surprises me. Um, that is shocking. Oh, I should have put my initials next to that. that that's my fault. <laughs> so it has, it has two people of support. Uh, let's scroll past that one for now, then. It looks like we should cut the other two Top Gun Maverick scenes. The beach scene and the final meeting with Iceman. Both really good scenes. Maverick's on the board, though, and I feel like there's going to be more support elsewhere. Okay. I'm a little sad about that, I will say, just because I do think that that final scene with uh, Maverick and Iceman is some really touching shit. But Yeah, I agree, but... Yep, I agree, too. Uh, Toby Jones explains film projection, Empire of Light. Brad, you only want to vote for this? Do you yeah, it's fun. It? Yeah, you guys all hate movies. I get it. <laughs> I, in fairness, I haven't seen Empire of Light yet. I, I get the sense I might have been with you there, but it's hard because I haven't seen it. Yeah, I'll, right. put my, I'll put my initials down, even though I haven't seen it, just because I remember Brad talking about this moment and i think he made a very very strong case for it so i would argue for keeping it all right we'll keep oh. on the board for a second um every line from rachel sanat and buys buys bodies BJ, okay. how's she, about this? she can go if only because it does fill a very similar role to the sophie turner in do revenge but i do think that um that is a better line delivery and that one was seen less rachel sanat has plenty of support on the internet from people who are sharing your parents are upper middle class he's a libra moon that's important or her amazing uh monologue about why podcasting is hard um <laughs> she is such a gift um so if you haven't seen bodies 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 she is easily the best part of it um and also go watch her and shiva baby from the year before and get ready for the rachel senat uh supremacy because it's coming i think looking at the numbers that are locked in i think we can afford to at least keep this in discussion We've got Ooh. like uh, thirteen spots left to fill. We, we, we need to cut five more from this list. I, I, I think I think bodies, bodies, bodies can go. That's my I, I BJ. I love your passion for it, and I like the movie. But I I, I, I will say I I'm 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 in favor of keeping it for now because I do see we have a couple other ones with only one one vote towards the bottom, and I think that 
one of the things I loved about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is that I felt like the vitriol and the venom that every character spewed at each other was way more brutal than any of the kills in the movie. And I think that's, and that's the point to like that to me is the point. And another yeah. thing is I think bodies, bodies, bodies is one of the first films we've gotten where I genuinely think the filmmakers understand Gen Z because so many people are trying to tap into that market right now and failing miserably and getting mocked relentlessly for it. And bodies, bodies, bodies is not one of those movies. And you know, whether a, we want to acknowledge it or not, like we're all very old now and we're going to start seeing more movies like this. And it is really cool to see somebody finally figure it out. I guess my only pushback is that I like when I was killing stuff, I don't love these every line things because it feels like a cheat for me. Like, I almost feel like if you had said like the podcasting thing specifically, I almost would have backed it more because it this just is, feels so, so this unspecific. Is, I will say, Ryan, this is something that happens from time to time where we just decide to be a little bit broad because it's something that is like a theme in a movie or something that's recurring that just makes for like combined a great kind of thing in a movie. So like, that's why I'm cool with it. There's precedent for it. All yeah, right. well, if, if, if there was like 10 versions of this kind of category on the list, I'd be against it. Uh, but like one or two per list, I'm okay with. Yeah, I think uh, it's I mean, like you know it when you see it. When like It's like how when we nominated Ambulance, it was just Jake Gyllenhaal in Ambulance because <laughs> pinpointing a specific moment of his insanity in that movie is impossible. And Rachel's the same way. Like every line she has in this could be its own moment. I will say I didn't like bodies, bodies, bodies that much, but she kind of saved the movie for me because she's, God, just she's so, so good. I feel like I've all, all right. You know what? I feel like I'm almost in swayed enough to argue. Maybe we just put it on the list and be done with it. Yeah, let's put that. Let's sit tight for one second because I want to talk about how BJ stabbed me in the back by not putting your initials next to the car turns around and speaking of evil. <laughs> you didn't put your initials on it, so then I didn't do it. <laughs> All right. Um, since nobody else supports me on this one, BJ, BJ clearly is not going <laughs> to. I'm cool cutting it at this point. It's, it's clear that we have 13 other moments that are going to have more support. So yeah, that's fine. Uh, in turn, uh, BJ, you also only only want to put initials next to the Battle of the Woman King. Is this the one you want to keep fighting for, or is this the one you, you you're cool cutting? <sighs> I'm okay cutting it. I just want more people to, to embrace the Woman King because I think this movie got really unfairly shit on by a lot of people. Um, and I think it's really, really good. And that battle scene rules. And I just, can we please, for the love of God, shoot action sequences that are not just 75 cuts in one minute? Because this this doesn't do that. And it's such a breath of fresh air. So, so hold on one second. So we have... We have how many more do we have to add to the final list? Twelve or thirteen? If we cut Woman King, we'll need we'll need to cut three more. Okay, so I'm also lo- noticing that one of the Northman scenes only has one vote as well, and oh, I, yeah, we're, and we're not going to end up with two Northman scenes on the list. So I would maybe maybe don't cut Woman King yet, and let's see where we land after we cut some other one. Well, I'll sacrifice the rebirthing scene and then because I've only got I'm the only vote for that, and as much as I love it, uh, maybe it doesn't make the top fifty. Well, because then we're pretty close yeah. if we can. Yeah, we're- really close yeah all right let's cut rebirthing i think we should cut the northman spear scene and keep the tomb read it has more it has more votes Ooh. all right if we do that we have 15 in a discussion 13 of them can be kept so here's my question do we want to cut two or do you want to start elevating from the 13 and see what's left i say let's start elevating yeah. Yeah, I like I like elevating. All right. In that case, let's talk about the ones that have the most votes. Uh, Tony Hawk tries land three hundred has Hell a lot yeah. of support. Hell yeah! Hell <laughs> yeah! 
I'm I'm so happy that makes it like genuinely so happy. Yeah, me too. Perpetual uh, good guy Tony Hawk wins again. <laughs> uh, pre-scene has despair has a lot of support. I'm cool bumping that, making your second banshee scene. Yeah, me yeah. too. It's fine by me. All right, let's, let's find the rest of the ones that have three. Tobey Maguire takes Diego Calva and Rory Scovel to hell in Babylon. Yes. Has three votes. Yes. I think this is a Babylon scene I want to elevate next if we if we have two Babylon. Scenes. Totally bonkers ending to a movie that already has so many bonkers things in it. Do it. And there's a live alligator involved too, so. There you go. We got our alligator fill that we lost with X. <laughs> All right. More um Moonfall. Casey is part of the moon has a shocking amount of support. I think it's yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well there there's our good scene from a bad movie. <laughs> Moonfall has made the list. I'm so happy. Uh, everything else can die. Um, okay, uh, the other, other one that has three votes is Climbing the Mountain Twice in Decision to Leave, which I think we've discussed already at length. And It's Park Shannon Wook. Of course it belongs to the list. So It leaves us with eight more slots to fill and ten more in discussion. we got to have Wave of Water on here, guys. We have two moments here. The Final Battle and Swim with the Tolkien. Um, uh, well, well aren't the, those are tied for votes, right? They are now. So here's my thought. How about we put both on there and have two Avatar moments? Oh. Mm. Uh, I t- tell you what. To make this a little bit easier, uh, we can cut Empire of Light. I'm satisfied with how I represented it on here. Um, it's a great, great moment. Uh, there's, there's obviously a lot of love for filmmaking this year, um, but I'm, I'm okay knowing that it made it this far. And even though it won't make the top fifty, uh, it's, yeah, it's a lovely moment in a movie that is a little bit messy. All right, it means we need to cut one more. Can I make elevate. a can I make a proposal here? Yeah. Okay, so look, right now we have two avatar moments left and two RRR moments left. I would argue that if there was a single movie, if you pulled everyone at Slash Film this year and like one movie came out on top, it would probably be RRR. And I would argue that that jungle escape, even though I didn't initial it next to Hannah just cuz I didn't think all the scenes had a shot at making it deserves more representation than the avatar in my opinion so i would yeah i'll make a case for it now it's because it becomes like at the end of a movie that's had so much ridiculous stuff in it and it just keeps one-upping itself and it has to like it keeps setting a new standard for itself and like the escape comes right near kind of fairly near the end and it's just (laughs) it's so good and i love the arrows i love that scene like those two scenes to me are like in a dead heat. So my, and again, this is just my, my way of thinking. I would argue those two RRR scenes are so much more memorable and spectacular than that swimming scene in Avatar. That is just me. That's my proposal to get us there. <laughs> if you pump up both RRR scenes, we have four RRR scenes on the list. Is everybody comfortable with that? I'm very I'm, okay. With I'm that. perfectly fine with that. I think RRR, yeah, was, yeah, like, RRR <laughs> was like number one on like three of our lists. So. All right. Here's my question then. I'm not prepared to lose a Tolkien. I'm not either, and I didn't even put my initials on it. <laughs> I also think the final battle in Avatar Way of Water is spectacular, and the only action scene on this list that rivals RRR in terms of like imagination and scope. So, okay, so then what do we lose? I think the I, monster reveals itself and smile doesn't belong on here. I was going to say the Tomb Raid doesn't belong at this point. Yeah, I would I, argue I, I would if, agree with that. if we're keeping one, I would say the smile being as big as it was. And especially the way that ending sort of played out. I mean, especially in a year worth of like, mem- you know, movies that are going to be remembered. Unfortunately, I do think the Northman sort of 
yeah, I would say that that maybe smile deserves a place over that particular Northman scene. I've already got my video game moment on this list, which is a final fight in Prey, so I'm happy to sacrifice Skyrim. Let's let's run through this real quick, make sure the right choice. The ending of Pinocchio, we all think belongs in the top 50 at this point. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, At this point, it sounds like uh, Rachel Sinat, every line by his bodies. I'm convinced at this point, too. We all Uh, goes in top. Yep. My whole Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. Um... Let me go ahead. The final battle uh, in Avatar 2 and Sword of the Talcoon, do we agree, both belong in the top 50? I think final battle. I'm still not prepared to, but... but. Okay. I'm the opposite. I, I would I... root for the Talcoon, but not for the final battle. So I'm, maybe... I'm with Hannah. I would root for the Talcoon over the battle. I'm fine with both, but yeah, Talcoon is definitely my uh, superior one. Okay, fine. Then both. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove the initials again. <laughs> Democracy in action. <laughs> All right, everybody go through here and see that we, there's going to be there's, there's six slots left or seven left. Everybody go ahead and put your initials. Let's go ahead and say next to the four you think should absolutely go forward. We've all gone through and voted again, and the only one without votes is the Tomb Raid from the Northmen. <laughs> I guess that, that makes it easy. Votes, which slides right in, completing our top 50. Guys, we did it. Folks, we did it. Ah, uh, amazing. Cue the <laughs> applause. Do one thing real quick. Let me get this formatted right. So what we do the last we do the last thing here is that over the course of two days we created a list of fifty moments. So we need to re- I want to read them all out right now, but I want one person to read all fifty because it's tiring. So, um, BJ, how about you read the first ten? Remember, this is not in order; it's not ranked yet. We'll do that offline. BJ, read the first ten moments that made our list. All right. So we have OJ waits out the rainstorm in Nope. A friendship is formed slash the late title drop in RRR. Pearl's monologue in Pearl. Uh, Patrick makes the case for kindness in the Banshees of Inisherin. Ugly Sonic in Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Stoke that was like the fifth one we got. Uh, the first appearance of Batman in the Batman. Uh, laundry and taxes and everything everywhere all at once. Marcel realizes how big the world is in Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. The Silence of the Lamb scene in Jack S. Forever. And the performance for Mussolini in Pinocchio. Uh, Hannah, can you read 11 through 20? So next up, we have trying to get a single good take for a talkie in Babylon. We have making a cheeseburger in the menu, a delicious cheeseburger. We have Maverick proves the mission can be done in Top Gun Maverick. Uh, Navalny Prank calls his own would-be assassin in Navalny... I'm sorry, I haven't seen this one. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, Uh, that's right. Next up is Sophie Turner saying, I don't do cocaine in Do Revenge. (laughs) And then we have everything involving the nail gun, but specifically the nail... Uh, through the wrist moment in No Exit. Uh, we have the opening sequence in Athena. Halloween really, really ends in Halloween Ends. The tape measurer in Barbarian. And the end of the Fablemans. Uh, Brad, can you do 21 through 30? Yes. The panda fight slash boy band duet in Turning Red. Rebecca Hall's monologue in Resurrection. Miles Braun is an idiot in Glass Onion. The final fight in Prey. John Boyega's heartbreaking reveal in Breaking that final stretch of Deadstream, Elvis chooses to wiggle and gets arrested in Elvis, the bedroom murder in Terrifier 2, Colin Farrell discovers Yang's past in After Yang, 
and Simon and Patty write watermelon in Dinner in America. Uh, Ryan, can you handle 31 through 40? Can do. Uh, so at 31, we have Emma Thompson looks in the mirror, and good luck to you, Leo Gran. Uh, at 32, we have Revolting Children in Matilda, Matilda the Musical. Uh, and then we have Lydia Tarr totally loses her shit in Tar, The Escape Attempt in The Black Phone. The Creation of My Bologna in Weird Al, the Al Yankovic story. Rakakuni and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Natu Natu and RRR. Tony Hawk keeps trying to land the 100, uh, land the 900 and Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off. Colm speaks with the priest. Uh, in the Banshees of Inishirian, and Tobey Maguire basically takes Diogo Calva and Roy Scoville to hell in Babylon. And Ben, watch us home here. All right, Casey is part of the moon now in Moonfall. <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, climbing the mountain twice in Decision to Leave, the ending of Pinocchio, every line from Rachel Sennett in Bodies, 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 the final battle in Avatar, The Way of Water, swimming with the Tulkun in Avatar, The Way of Water, the animals unleashed in RRR, the jungle escape in RRR, the battle in the Woman King, and the monster reveals itself in Smile. You know, once you see the other 150 not on the list, you kind of forget about them and realize like, what a good list this is. Yeah, it's a really good list. Really good list. Um, so yeah, this is our top 50 moments of the year. They'll be ranked offline and turned into an article that will run on Slash Film you know, in the, in the near future. Uh, thank you so much for spending four hours with me, guys, uh, ranking our top moments of 2022. Yeah, It was an cool. absolute was- pleasure. Thank yeah, you for letting tough. me get so many weird nonsense on this list. I'm so excited right now. I'm drunk with power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always talk about how this is like one of the favorite things that we do uh, every year at Slash Home. So I'm really excited to be able to do this with you guys again. All right, folks, uh, that's it for me. Um, I'll let Ben sign us off and whew, we'll take, take, take a break and come back for the written version <laughs> in a week or so. Okay, cool. All right, yeah, you can find more about all the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Don't forget to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening. We will not have a show on Monday because it is a holiday, but we will talk to you guys on Tuesday. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. 
take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.